0: Let us turn our psalms to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. If you read Numbers 14 last evening, the psalm will refer to it directly. If you've read Jude 1-5, the psalm will refer to it as well. I'd like to point out two or three things from this psalm after we read it. The first six verses are describing the greatness of the God we worship and how we ought to approach His presence and worship. Amen. And then verses 7 through 11 are a very unique prophecy given in light of what the generation in the wilderness did to the offer of Canaan. Let us all rise together as we read the Holy Scriptures of Psalm 95.
1: Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with songs. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Amen. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His, and He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us heal before the Lord our Maker. Amen. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if ye will hear him, And saw my work. Amen. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, "It is a people that do in their hearts, and they have not known my ways, unto and whom I swear in my wrath that they
0: should not enter into my
1: rest." Amen. Amen. And
0: amen. You may be seated. Let us kneel. Before the Lord, our Maker. Amen. And if we're not kneeling literally, we can certainly kneel figuratively and we can kneel spiritually in our hearts. Amen. Right. Let us worship and bow down, that sixth verse told us. I think we ought to recognize that the first verse says that when we come, it ought to be done with singing and noise. We ought to be opening up our mouths. Yes. Amen. It is not enough to love the Lord from your heart. He wants it expressed through the tongue and lips that He's given you, and that throat, and to make it joyfully to Him. Verse 2 tells us that that joyful noise ought to be accompanied with thanksgiving. So when we come in here, when we kneel down before our Maker in our hearts, we should be wanting to open up our lips and thank Him for every good thing that we have, and to make a joyful noise to Him because He's a great God and a great King above all gods, He's formed the sea, the mountains are his as well, the deep places of the earth, and he's done it with his hands. He's a great God, and he deserves everything that we can give him in the way of worship. Let's come before his presence with thanksgiving. Solomon's temple was inferior to this little church. This is the temple of God of the New Testament. We're taught that several times. God, by the Spirit, inhabits this place as He does in other churches throughout this country and the world as well. This is the temple of the New Testament. And when we come before His presence, we should come with thanksgiving and a joyful noise, and we should include psalms. You you know, we always should remember why we have a red hymnal, a burgundy songbook, and a black psalter. Because we are to worship the Lord with psalms, hymns, And spiritual songs. Psalms being those pieces of poetry David wrote. Hymns being songs directed directly to God in the second person. And spiritual songs being songs about the Christian life. We try to sing all three. Because all three are part of worship. But here David mentions the Psalms. We have a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. You can read about the Mariana Trench that is seven miles deep. That's 35,000 feet down in the Pacific Ocean. And the Lord has the deep in his hands. That's right. The strength of the hills is his also. You can read about Mount Everest that's nearly six miles high. Over there in the Himalayas, the Lord's got that in his hands. Right. The sea is his. Right. And he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Like we might take a little bit of sand at the beach and put it together into a small little mound. The Lord was able to do that and create the Himalaya mountain range and all other mountain ranges. The psalmist mentions great things like this about him because He, we can put our trust in him and he's worthy of the praise we give him. We praise men for things that are so insignificant that they shouldn't be mentioned in comparison to these accomplishments. But we come to verses 7 through 11. The first lesson I would like us to learn from Psalm 95 is how we ought to come into his presence and that he's worthy of our greatest efforts of praise. But verses 7 through 11 are going to teach us a couple other things. First of all, verses 7 through 11 are describing the generation in the wilderness that were delivered by God out of their slavery in Egypt taken through the divided Red Sea that God caused to stand up in heaps on both sides. They defeated enemies, and they came to the brink of the land of Canaan and stood there on the other side, Jordan. And the Lord said, before you take it, let's hear how good it is. And He sent twelve spies, one from each tribe, a prince and ruler from the tribes. And they went into the land of Canaan and spied it out for a good while. And they came back and described it as a land flowing, flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what you grew up grew up with putting on your cereal, but milk and honey is a good combination. They go together well. They're rich. They're nutritious. They're refreshing. And it was a land flowing with it. They came back bringing a cluster of grapes from Eshcol. They required two men to carry that cluster of grapes on a staff between the two of them. It was a wonderful land. But And the two spies named Joshua and Caleb said, It is beautiful. And the Lord's been with us. He'll give it to us. Let's take it. Amen. Right. Let's take it now. But ten spies said, there's giants in the land and their cities are walled up to heaven. We appeared like grasshoppers in their sight. We're so small. We appeared like grasshoppers in our own sight. We're so small. We can't take the land. And the congregation of the Lord believed the majority. They went with the ten instead of the two. And they said, let us go back to Egypt. Let us pick us a captain different from Moses that will get us out of here and out of this threat. And God swore in his wrath. You will never see my blessing for you. You will never have my best for you. You will never have that land flowing with milk and honey. If you read Numbers 14, you know that he described what he was going to do to them. I'm going to cause you to wander in circles in the wilderness for the next 40 years until every single one of you over the age of 20 has dropped your carcass in the wilderness. I will get rid of every single one of you except Joshua and Caleb. They will see the land and the children that you are so worried about. I will take care of all those children myself and they will possess the land. He swore in his wrath. Numbers 14 tells us they repented. We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and take the land. And Moses said, you may go and attempt it, but I'm not going to go with you. Because the Lord has sworn against you. That is what verses 7 through 11 are about. It's describing that generation and it's a serious warning to each of us that when we hear the Lord and we receive the least amount of conviction by His Spirit, we should move with that conviction immediately. We should do something with it and take what God wants us to do. Because he will not put up with you and your stubbornness forever. He is merciful. He is very merciful. But he that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Proverbs 29 in verse 1. Jezebel at the church of Thyatira was given a space to repent. And because she didn't, she and her children were cast into a bed and the Lord killed them. Revelation chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. But the real point I want to give you from this section here is that because of one little two-letter word, this is a prophecy. And it is positioned in the Bible in a very unique place. Written by David, hundreds of years after Moses gave the law from Mount Sinai. The little two-letter word is in verse 7. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if. It's the little word if. That conditional if, in verse 7, is picked up by the Apostle Paul and repeated and explained, and repeated, and explained, and repeated in Hebrews 3 and 4 for two chapters. From if, in Psalm 95, we can know that there is a rest for the people of God in the future that was not satisfied by the Sabbath day rest of Mount Sinai, nor the rest of the land of Canaan that Joshua took the people in and possessed. And Paul goes through all that explanation in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, because there's an if, there remains a rest for the people of God. See, God worked for six days, and he rested the seventh. And that was a little tiny token of rest to the people of Israel for the hard bondage that they had given in the land of Egypt. No one ever heard of the Sabbath day until Mount Sinai when Moses brought it down and gave it to the people of Israel as a special sign between him and them for what they had done in the land of Egypt. And Paul reasons, Paul reasons in Hebrews chapter 4, if that was the rest, if that was the important rest for the people of God, why did David write about another rest in Psalm 95 500, 600 years later? Then he goes to the next possible rest that a Jew would be thinking of. This is why it's in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, believing Jews that had been converted, that were tempted to go back under the law of Moses. He says, if Joshua had given them rest, that's the book of Joshua, taking the land of Canaan, then Psalm 95 wouldn't be in the Bible. But because Psalm 95 is in the Bible, the rest of Canaan wasn't the real rest. Well, then what is the real rest? God gave a little tiny shadow of a rest with the Sabbath day. God worked six days and then let Israel rest the seventh. God did not need to rest the seventh. God did not need six days to create the heavens and the earth. Right. God could have created in six hours, six minutes, or six nanoseconds, or no time at all. Amen. Right. He created in those periods of time, simply for the benefit of the nation of Israel, and for all men to have 24-hour days. Right. Aren't you glad that days are only 24 hours long sometimes? Yes. What if they were 48? You wouldn't be more than twice as tired. You'd be ruined. That's right. The Lord chose the right amount of time for us. Yes. God worked six days and rested the seventh day. That was just creation. Jesus worked the work of redemption and said... It is finished. It is finished. There are no more works. Salvation and redemption and a blood atonement is all completed. And that is our rest. And it's not one day a week. And it's not one week a year. And it's not one year. And it's not a jubilee year. It's perpetual forever. That is the rest that Psalm 95 right here is talking about. And if you didn't have the New Testament... We wouldn't know what it was talking about. We would just know what is this if given in Psalm 95 after the Sabbath and after Canaan. But with the New Testament, I'm thankful to Paul. He is our apostle. We are Gentiles. And when we read a passage like Psalm 95, we need Pauline explanation in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. But that's the explanation. There remaineth a rest for the people of God. Those are Paul's words from Hebrews 4. And do you know what that rest is? In the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Forever we rest. Because all the works have been done for us. Thank you, blessed God.
1: Amen.
0: But do you know what Paul said to those Hebrews? Let us therefore fear. Lest a rest being left you, any of you should seem to come short of it.
1: right?
0: We don't want to come short of God's rest. And any time that we turn back from the full grace of God and even think about a work system of salvation, we miss the rest. We miss the rest. And those Hebrews were thinking about going back under the works of the law for many, new, for many reasons that I've given you before. But what a glorious psalm. Psalm 95. This is how we understand it. The Bible's opened it up to us. We find that little word, if, we go over to Hebrews chapter 4 and watch Paul play with a little two-letter word from Psalm 85 called if. Because if is in Psalm 85, meaning there is another rest. But only if those who have that rest offered to them believe. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For the gospel was preached unto them as well as unto us but not being mixed with faith in them that heard it, they did not obtain God's rest. And neither will we obtain God's rest or God's best if we ever turn away from the Scriptures. That's right. And remember that Jesus Christ has finished them all for us. Praise the Lord for Psalm 95. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for opening up the Scriptures to us and making them so simple. Thank you for giving us an example in the wilderness of people that pushed you too far. To where you could not forgive them, but you dropped their carcasses in the wilderness. Let us not be in that number. Let us be in the number of Joshua and Caleb. Though we be small in number, let us be faithful in believing you and pressing forward to keep your word. We thank you for the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us a perpetual rest in the gospel of grace. Let us never depart from it. Let us never compromise it. Let us stand alone on the obedience of one that has made and shall declare all of us righteous in thy holy presence. It's in Jesus' glorious name that we commit ourselves to thee for that rest here and in the world to come. Amen. Amen.